0: I did a little test this week on Judy and then on Emily, actually. Um, I said, complete this well-known verse. Love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices... And uh, both of them answered, rejoices in good... which confirmed my instinct. Now, not that they are wildly wrong in their theology. It's entirely appropriate to think of love rejoicing in good. That's, that's not a bad thing. That is a biblical thing. That is a true Christian thing. But that is not what the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. And uh, as I had been meditating on that that verse, I realised there was something of a surprise about it. Love does not delight in evil, says Paul, but rejoices with the truth. Now, if you've been here over the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been uh, um, considering uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 and um, what it means to be a spirit-filled community, what a spirit, spirit-filled person is. And um, we've got to 1 Corinthians 13, the sort of centrepiece of that section of 1 Corinthians and uh, we've been going through it at a, at a distinctly slower rate than uh, the rest of that section and we will continue to do so, though this is the shortest passage that we will look at um, in the whole of our series. Just this one verse. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Because I think there is something here that we really need to grasp. Why does the Apostle Paul set evil against Truth, not goodness, truth. And actually, it's not at all an accident or a one-off statement in the Apostles' writings. For instance, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where he's um, uh, talking about mankind's fundamental problem. He says that, he speaks about the the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their goodness. In other words, it's intrinsic to wickedness that it suppresses, yes, goodness, certainly, but he picks on truth. Or um, another place... In 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 12, there he's speaking about the final judgment, God's final judgment on human wickedness. And there it is again, it is a judgment on those who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. So it is not an accident, it's not a one-off, it's not a little blip in what uh, the Apostle is teaching uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 6 when he says it doesn't delight in evil but delights in the truth. It seems to be something that is very much at the heart of his understanding of reality. For Paul... The opposite of wickedness, in many senses, is truth. Why? Well, as the, uh, uh, we uh, come to grips with the message of the Bible, it starts to become clear. For instance, do you remember the the story of the Garden of Eden which was created good, entirely good and then uh, Satan in the form of a snake came in and the key thing that he did was he lied to Adam and Eve. He deceived Adam and Eve, says the Bible. And so wickedness came into the world. Or, um, Jesus um, uh, uh, expands on that in uh, John chapter 8, verse uh, uh, 44, where he's describing the devil. He says he's a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar, the father of lies. The devil works his wickedness in the world through lies. Or uh, we could say through deception. Again and again and again we find in the Bible that, that sin comes into the world because it deceives us. Look at uh, Romans 7, verse 11, where the apostle just says simply, sin deceived me. In other words, I didn't understand the truth. And so sin took over and ruled me. Or um, 1 Peter, chapter 1. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. The devil lies. We are led into sin because we are deceived. We have evil desires which rule over us because we live in ignorance. It is a consistent theme that runs through scripture. The opposite, in fact, of wickedness in, in many senses is truth. Or the, the antidote to human wickedness is knowing and understanding and loving the truth. Ignorance, lies, deception is what gives wickedness its ability. influence us in this world. That was recognised um, by uh, an American thinker called M. Scott Peck, who wrote uh, a book entitled People of the Lie. He analysed, um, um, uh, largely using some quite disturbed characters that he counselled as a, as a psychiatrist, but then extending it to people generally, he analysed people's behaviour, people's wicked behaviour, and he came to the conclusion that at root, their behaviour was the result, as he put it, of a persistent refusal to believe the truth. We are people of the lie. That is what enslaves us. That is what allows wickedness into this world. And as Jesus so memorably put it, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So, that, that, that's, that's the shape of the biblical understanding of why, then, Paul opposes, in uh, verse 6 here, um, uh, delighting in evil with rejoicing it with the truth. They are, in a very real sense, opposites. And so, he's saying here, in this great passage about love, He is saying that to love someone will be to rejoice in the truth being in their lives. Not to rejoice in evil. We could uh, spend a long time on that, but I'll take that as as read, that you can see that. I want to look, look at the second half of that verse. We will rejoice with the truth. We will long to see there being truth in our relationships. We will long to see people living according to the truth, loving the truth. Our desire for people, if we really love them then, will be that they should see the truth, because the truth sets us free. Next question we need to ask then, is what truth is he talking about? Now at one level, undoubtedly, the Apostle is talking about the truth, speaking the truth, the truth about who we are, confessing our sins and not living with lies and all of those sorts of things. But actually, whenever Paul is talking about the truth, he is talking also about something far, far bigger than that. He is talking about the fundamental truths, about what it means to be human, about what God is like, about what God has, 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 uh, has planned and done in this world to deal with evil. More fundamentally than just rejoicing in honest relationships, Paul expects those who love other people to rejoice in the fundamental biblical truths about them. So let me rehearse some of those biblical truths to try and help you to understand what I think he is getting at as we, as we try to, to, to plumb a little bit deeper as to what real love for another person looks like. This is the first one first profound, important biblical truth is human beings are much more glorious than we think. When uh, the Bible describes God creating the, the, the universe, he describes human beings as the pinnacle of that great, um, a week-long uh, act of creation. Um, he describes the creation, once he has populated it with people, as very good. And he describes people, human beings, as made in the image of God. In other words, uniquely, human beings somehow reflect what God is like. Human beings in this glorious universe are glorious creatures. The most glorious Creatures, And that profoundly affects how we react then to other people. Think for a minute about someone who has mistreated you. Someone who has uh, belittled you and made you feel small. This truth, you see, about who you are is revolutionary. If you really did feel small and put down, you could easily slip into bitterness. But love delights in the truth that you are still, from God's perspective, an extraordinary creature. What does it matter? that they treated you badly. Love sees that truth and therefore is able to move towards that person without bitterness. Love delights with the truth. Rejoices with the truth. Or think about um, how your attitude could damage love because you ignore someone or behave in a high-handed manner to them or or belittle them yourself. And how much that truth about the grandeur of human beings can transform your behaviour that now, as you see another human being as made in the image of God, you find your heart actually repenting of that previous behaviour and loving them. And remember, again and again, Paul, what we need to see, Paul says love rejoices in that. That is a glorious truth, the dignity of human beings. And as we rejoice in that, we will find relationships of love fostered. Human beings are much more glorious than we think. Human beings are much more fallen than we think says the Bible, uses the, this word fallen to mean to have been fallen from that glorious state into, into, into sin and degradation. The Bible is, is brutally frank about that. Ever since Adam and Eve first ate that fruit, we are shot through with, with brokenness and sin as a race. And that... It's a vital truth, in fact, to give us the equipment to love. You know, there is so much silly, mushy thought that just says human beings love naturally. They do not. Human beings fight naturally. Love is a miracle whenever it happens. We need then to see that with clarity if we are to learn to love. And we need that both for our own behaviour. I need God's grace to be able to love and we need that both as we deal with other people's behaviour. There is no surprise when someone fails to love us, you know. It's sad, it's painful. But those who've reflected on the truth about human beings are ready for it. It's a challenging thing to think how love can rejoice in that truth though, isn't it? except that you see amidst the pain of the reality of the way that people fail one another, and we do, there is underlying that truth, a real bedrock that says God anticipated it, God knew it. God's word described it in all its gory detail. We're not suffering as if something strange had happened to us. It is not outside of God's ability to to deal with it, therefore. There is no harm that will come to you from other people which God has not anticipated. There is no harm that you could do to another person that God has not anticipated. Love can win through. Love which sees and knows the truth. Because God is much more gracious than we think. We we treat this idea of God's grace so often, um, particularly if we've been Christians for a while, rather casually. But God's grace is, is deep. There is nothing that God if you are a Christian here uh, this morning, there is nothing that you will do in your life that God didn't foresee. And there is nothing that you will do in your life that Christ's death on the cross is not sufficient to forgive. What more could God do than send his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins? That is is the full extent of his love and his grace. And so, we don't need to hide from the truth about ourselves. Because those who have understood their Bibles have a deep and precious truth, a deeper truth, that God can forgive all our sins as we confess them, as we face up to the truth. That is what enables an ordinary failed sinner like me to step out of my misery and despair and to get on with loving people. Because I am loved by an eternal gracious God. And that is what what enables each one of us when someone else has hurt us to be gracious to them and forgiving to them. Because anything that we do will be no more than a pale shadow of what God has done for us in Christ. Is the next truth for you to get in your minds. God is much more transforming than you think. How could I ever love another person? That other person. Apostle Paul says, uh, Hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Spirit. The Holy Spirit can and does transform us. The Holy Spirit really can transform us. He really can enable us to love people. Ephesians chapter 2 says says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins before we became Christians. But the essence of what God does when he converts us, as Paul puts it, is he, he, he who is rich in mercy made us alive. He brings life. And that life is a real, really transforming power. And the final truth that we need to delight in is if we're Christians here this morning, our future is much more glorious than we think. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he caused complete confusion for the disciples. They expected some sort of life after death. They were open to the possibility of some ghostly appearance of Jesus, what they were absolutely not prepared for was that he should rise physically from the dead and then should tell them that this is just the beginnings, that human beings generally will rise physically from the dead. Will one day um, actually live in a new heaven and a new earth, which is every bit as physical as the present earth. And yet which no longer has any evil or sin or mourning or dying or absence of God in it. Luke tells us in his gospel at the end in chapter 24, they did not believe it because of joy. They couldn't get their heads round how good it was. Love rejoices with the truth. I have just in outline sketched for you the the true dimensions of what the Bible says about human beings. And I hope you've begun to see how actually... um, Getting those truths not only into our minds but into our hearts are really, really life transforming. Human beings are much more glorious than we think. They are much more fallen than we think. So love is not surprised by any insult. God is much more gracious than we think. He who forgave us, how can we not forgive other people? Jesus told a story in Matthew chapter 18 about uh, a person who was forgiven an enormous debt and then went out and uh, found someone who only owed them a small amount of money and beat them to a pulp. That's sadly what we're like so often. God is much more gracious. Rejoice in that and let that empower love. God can transform you much more than you think. Yes, till our dying day we will still struggle with sins and fail from some time. Do not think that God can instantly perfect you. But he can. Help you to have victory over your sins and failures. He can help you to love. And God sets a glory before you the glory of a new heaven and a new earth. Real love then seeks that kind of truth. With all its heart, it seeks for others to believe it. It seeks to believe it itself in its own heart so that we can love. And it seeks to see those truths implanted in another person. And when it sees those truths being worked out in that other person, it rejoices. Because those are the most precious thing, that is the most precious thing that could happen to a person. They could see the full dimensions of God's truth. I've been uh, uh, enormously helped by um, a book entitled Bold Love by Dan Allender. I quoted it a few weeks ago. Um, I'm quoting it again. I was even going to put it on the screen, but I've been thwarted on that. So let me read the key... Um, phrase from this book that really gets to the point. If Christ had practiced the kind of love we advocate nowadays he would have lived to a ripe old age. We've come to view love as being nice forgiving and forgetting yielding to the desires of other others yet the kind of love modeled by Jesus Christ has nothing to do with manners or unconditional acceptance rather it is shrewd disruptive courageous and as a result socially unacceptable Real love hunts for truth. It it fights for truth. It it, it wants truth in uh, in other people's minds and hearts. It is fundamentally, deeply committed to other people savouring the truth of the Bible. Now, of course, we could um, leave armed with a desire to uh, speak the truth to people in quite an unloving way. I don't want to advocate that. We must not expect perfection of one another. We must not expect change to be quick. We must remember all the other things that are said about love is patient, kind, does not seek itself and all of those sort of things. It is a terrible misrepresentation of what the Bible is saying if we use truth as a weapon of vengeance against people. Don't hear that. But real love knows that every problem in relationships and every problem in human hearts is at root of failure to believe and love the truth. And so real love longs for people to believe and love the truth. My whole task here, is to help you to know and love the truth if that happens you will be transformed our community will be the body of Christ it is supposed to be love Rejoices with the truth. Will you? Here are two tests. Will I humbly accept the truth about myself? It's in the Glorious context that I've said it. You are still in the image of God. God knew you were fallen before you did. God forgave you if you are a believer here. God can transform you. God sets a glorious prospect before you. Now, will you believe the truth about yourself and accept it? And confess it, perhaps? To another trusted person? And will you believe the truth about that other person or people who you find it so difficult to love? They too are glorious. Fallen, if they're a Christian forgiven, can be transformed, heading for glory. Will you treat them as that? Or you will you be deceived? Will you choose to be ignorant of what the Bible says about them? Will you let the father of lies turn you, if not into a murderer, into someone who does not love? Love rejoices in the truth because it sets us free.